0: All right, uh, we are going to look at um, the passage there. If you'll remember that we're looking at a series of of lessons regarding um, the book of Psalms and and things were written in Psalms that were prophetic and they came true and were fulfilled in some way with Jesus Christ. And in some in some instances, they reflect a characteristic of Jesus and in other incident, other cases they they are merely something that happened to him that he fulfilled in in his his walk upon the earth and and, or something in this case that was actually done around his uh, walk upon the earth Um, so if you think about that in itself it's kind of interesting that psalms were like prayers and they were well they were really written that they could be put to music and so they could be like a, a, a song as well, um, but this, if you think about a psalm at its base, it was really a it was the meditation of the heart. In most cases, David, and so he is he is meditating and he is he's com, um, making communication to God through prayer, like you and I would, and he's writing these things down. But is as if the spirit itself took control of his pen. And had him write things that could not been about him. And the passage that uh, Matthew read at the beginning, I think, kind of depict that idea. This this does not, as far as we know, uh, reflect anything about David, but it's David speaking as if he channeling Jesus Christ, a thousand years before he came to the earth. But he says, "I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint." He goes on and he says, um, "My tongue clings to my jaw. I have, you have brought me to the dust of death." You can imagine uh, Michael spoke a few weeks ago about the thirst and that component of it. And so he goes on and he says in verse 18 that they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And so that's really the topic that we want to look at this morning. But just real quickly in review, some of the things that we've seen that were channeled through David about Jesus. says that the the prophecy says that he would come in the name of the Lord, that he would be the Son of God. Now, that's a particularly unique one because anybody else that claimed that... There's only one person that could possibly claim to be the Son of God, and so he was hated without cause. He was falsely accused. He was rejected, betrayed, mocked. Hands and feet would be pierced. Prayed for his enemies. Cast lots for his clothes. God forsook him. He uh, he was given sour wine. His bones would be unbroken. He would be resurrected. He was given all power. He ascended. And he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so again, all of these things were prophesied through David as he channeled a future Jesus Christ, if that makes any sense. Um, So let's look at this passage and see if it was indeed fulfilled. Psalms 22, chapter 18 says that they did divide his garments. So where in the New Testament does that tell us that that it was fulfilled. Well in Mark uh, chapter. I believe it's not Mark 27. I believe it's 13. Definitely not 27. There, since there's not 27. I'm pretty sure it's not there. You can look for it. But I don't think you'll find it. Uh, it says. Then they crucified him. And they divided his garments. Casting lots. That it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. And I'm guessing this is in Matthew. so That, that would make more sense in verse 35. And, but a similar passage would be found in, in uh, the Gospel of John. And John is more clear about exactly how this unfolded. So they didn't cast lots for all of his garments. You'll see that some, it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus... They took his garments, and they made four parts. So you think about they divided, they had four piles out there. And to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now, the tunic was like a coat, so it was like an overcoat. But the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, amongst us, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it. Who shall it be that the Scripture might be fulfilled out Obviously, these Roman soldiers were not thinking, hey, let's do this so the scripture is going to be fulfilled. That wasn't, that wasn't what was going on here. But God, in his wisdom, created the condition such that he could use these agents, to which were no part Christian or, or related to God in any way, but to fulfill this prophecy. So they said, let us not tear it, because that would obviously the value would, would go down a lot if you did that. Um, let us not tear it, but we're going to cast lots for it. Who shall it be that the scripture would be fulfilled? And so uh, we see that they took the there was some garments that they were able to divide out and said, well, you take this and you take this and you take this and you take this. But this tunic, what are we going to do with it? Well, they cast lots for that. Now, casting lots is an interesting idea because we really don't know how they did that. And, and, in fact, you might think of it like gambling. You know gambling is kind of a broad term there 's lots of different ways that one could gamble you could You could bet on a football game you could uh, you could roll dice, you could play cards and bet money that way i mean there 's all kinds of ways that you could gamble and casting lots, I believe, is kind of a generic term. That simply explains that they had some kind of process to which you could determine who was going to get this thing. And it was a random choice. Now, interestingly, though, God used casting lots with his people. In fact, it was used, and I didn't count them all, but according to one reference, it says there were 70 times in the Old Testament that the children of Israel cast lots. And the idea of them doing it was to take human judgment out of it and allow God to intervene and direct his people the way he would have them to go. So that was the idea. Well, that also in, it happened particularly at the time of uh, the the dividing of lands during the the reign of Joshua when they they first entered the promised land. And they had to determine, well, who's going to get what? And they had these 12 tribes to divide it out amongst. And so they cast lots to determine who would get each section of land that was the promised land. And also it was used in the New Testament to determine the replacement of Judas. Remember that Matthias was chosen to take his place. Well, how was that chosen? Well, it was some form of casting of lots. Now, obviously, it was in this case and in the case in the Old Testament, it was, again, an attempt to allow God to make that choice, to God to direct the people the way that he wanted them to go. So, think about these Roman soldiers. Does this seem to be more like the children of Israel and their... And they're allowing God to choose, or does it look to be more like what's going on down here? I think pretty obvious that that they weren't really interested in what God's will was here; they were merely casting lots to determine who was going to get this probably pretty valuable piece piece of clothing, and so that was their purpose. Interestingly. Uh, kind of a side note, but I'll go ahead and throw it in. The the uh, children of Israel had a, um, there was a, the priest had these two gemstones and they were the, called the Urim and Thummim. And so they were, it's also known as lights and perfection. And in some way, and again, no one really knows exactly how they worked, but that in cases of where big decisions had to be made and the high priest was involved with that decision, he would somehow use these two stones that as the light from the sun would shine through the stone, it would reflect that light in a way that, that they were able to divine what God wanted from them. So that was, that's the idea of that breastplate over there, and that was placed on there. So, again, uh, not what's going on with our Roman soldier friends. So, I want you to just think about that for a minute. So, here you have these Roman soldiers that have been witness to the single most important event in the history of mankind. And here they are over there dividing up the spoils. Now, I admit they probably didn't have anywhere near the background to understand because no one else did at the time either to understand the significance of the event that they just saw. I mean, you can imagine even even the disciples who had walked with Jesus. Most of them fled and ran away because they thought that, well, they're going to take our leader and they're going to kill him. And that's the end of our this is the end of our movement. But that wasn't the case. But yet, and so these Roman soldiers, you can certainly understand why they wouldn't understand the significance. But they probably would understand that Jesus was this very popular leader and that those garments might be of some value. Now, I doubt the memorabilia trade was quite as robust as it is in the United States today, but I suspect they probably could have got something out of it. So, anyway, so it bro- in my mind, it brought up the idea of. How do we interact with the cross? What happens when people contact the gospel or the cross of Jesus Christ? And you know, truth be told, it's a great division. It is the single most important inflection point in history. And how we interact with that is the most significant decisions that you and I will make. You know, there's, there's a big golf tournament today, I understand. I believe it's called the Masters. And uh, there's probably some people that would have liked to see Tiger Woods win. There would have been some people that would have liked to have seen Phil Mickelson win. There, would be likes, there was some people that would like to see Jordan Spieth win. The first two, there's no way that's going to happen. The, set, the last one is very doubtful. But the truth is, is those things don't, in the big scope of things, don't really matter. But you know what matters how you how you react to your interaction with the gospel of this guy right here of Jesus Christ. You know Paul wrote these words in first Corinthians and he said he said that for the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews. It was a stumbling block and to the Greeks. It was foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You know, there's, there are people that see the gospel of Christ and they react in all kinds of different ways. There are some people that hate it and they're emotional against it. There are some people that are very passionate for it. But you know the, the part, the, the group that's scariest? It's the group in the middle. They're not moved at all. That they, they encounter the gospel as most people in the United States in some form have heard of Jesus Christ. But many are unmoved by the most important decision that they'll have to make in their life. And that is how they're going to interact with that. You know, I think about garage um, I think about garage sales. And I never go to garage sales, but I know people that do go to garage sales and they'll spend all day on a Saturday doing that and they enjoy doing that and it's a lot of fun and and sometimes you know what they're looking for? That one treasure. Man, if I can if I spend the whole day but I can find that one treasure where this old boy's got this I'll use something Danny and I would relate to, a guitar or a banjo or something like that that they're selling for thirty bucks and it's worth maybe a couple of thousand, or maybe it just plays really well and we just would love to have it, that would be worth it to, to a garage sale person. And so I think that's true of people in the gospel is that some people see it and they're not moved. They see no value in it. But others see it and they see, as this is described by Jesus, a pearl of great price Remember the guy that found that field? And he found that field and he said it was so valuable they went and sold all that he had that he could buy that one field. And I just wonder as Christians, are we, are we turned, are we motivated by that good news still today? You know, you look at different people as how they've interacted with the gospel through the years. And these Roman soldiers that we're talking about today, they were really looking to exploit... These these items. Hey, let's let's take this and maybe we can sell it and make some money. This will be a good thing for us. Well, there was a guy in the early church named Diotrephes, and this is in, recorded in Third John in verse number nine, where John writes and he says, "I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have preeminence amongst them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind the deeds which he does." prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. You know, there's a lot of diatrophies in the church, even today. There, there There are business people who will pick a congregation based on potential contacts. And I'm not talking about our fellowship of, of churches. I'm talking about just in general. People in America will often, hey, I'm going to go to this church over, this mega church over here that's got a couple thousand members because I know that I can increase my contact list and I can get some business contacts through that. And so people will choose a congregation based on that rather than based on really what they believe that Jesus Christ would have them to do. There are people that, uh, even in in the Church of Christ, who have divided the church because they wanted to have preeminence, meaning they wanted to be the big shot. They wanted to be the person that people looked to. And I would submit to you that probably a lot of the division, not all, but a lot of the division that the Church of Christ has dealt with has been because of this this position of, of men wanting to be in power and them fighting for that power with other men that they thought were a threat to them. And, and you know, the gospel is not a competition. There's all kinds of businesses and organizations. If it's your thing to go out and compete with the world and try to rise up as high in your organization as you can, then live it up. But the church is not the place for it. And we never, we never want to have that. We never want to have that here. But there are, there are diatrophies. And so, again, these are people that would encounter the gospel and they would try to exploit that to their gain. And then there are people like Felix that, that, um, that called for the Apostle Paul and Paul came to him and he spoke to him and he says, and he reasoned with him uh, about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And Felix was stirred and that there was emotion. He says he was afraid. Now, what he was afraid of, I don't know. Maybe he thought that Paul, maybe he, maybe he was touched a little bit, and he thought that there may be some truth to that, and I may lose my soul. Or maybe he thought, hey, this guy can stir up problems for me. Maybe that was his fear. We don't really know. But here's what he says. He says, go thy way when I have a convenient time, I will call you. And then, meanwhile, he, ho- he kept calling for him back, hoping that Paul would try to bribe his way out. So, again, Felix was one who, when he encountered the gospel, what was his response? His response was, really doesn't fit with my schedule today, but when it's more convenient, I'll call for you. But we never, we never find any record where he really responded to the gospel call. And so it just wasn't convenient. You know, the truth is, is Christianity is often inconvenient isn't it it's inconvenient because you may have to do some things that you haven't budgeted in your schedule to do it may be inconvenient because you've got to go see about some people that you really didn't budget in your schedule to do that for that day so it can be inconvenient felix wouldn't obey the gospel at least as far as we know, because it was inconvenient. And then there was King Agrippa. So Paul, a couple of chapters later, he testifies before King Agrippa. And the the great thing about Paul is he's on trial, but instead of trying to defend himself, he uses it as a preaching opportunity. This is an evangelism opportunity. And so he tries to convert these very men that are hearing the cases against him. And so he says to Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Now, there was something in his body language or the questions that he was asking or something that caused Paul to respond in this way. He said, I I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. It's close. But as far as we know, he never accepted it. So... Is being motivated in in one day, being touched, is that enough? Well, unfortunately, as far as we know, Agrippa never obeyed. And so it's not enough. One has to respond. I like how this centurion responded. You know, when he was, this centurion was at the cross and they were guards there, that whole proceeding and and these centurions, when they saw the earthquakes and, and the, the, the people that walked out of the graves during, after Jesus was crucified, and story of the, of the, the veil of the temple being rent from the top to the bottom. And so all these things going on. And this centurion looked upon this. And this is where we want to be. He says, truly, this was the Son of God. This guy who had no, as far as we know, no experience with the gospel at all. But he saw this event and what was his response? This really was him. This was the son of God. So I realized this morning I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to people that are here that are motivated enough to come to the assembly this morning and and partake in this worship service. So I'm I'm preaching to the choir. I do understand that. But the question for us is really not about how we interact one time, but how we interact on a daily basis. How do we respond daily to the cross? Does the cross impact your work? How are you at work? And are you at work different than you would be if it weren't for the cross? What about at play? What about when you, when you go and you do recreational things? How does the cross and your interaction with the cross affect the choices you make as to the kind of play you do and how you behave at those events? I think those things are significant. And they're daily. They're every day we make these choices. So it's not the decision, although important, one time I'm going to hear the gospel and be baptized. Certainly we, we would, you would have to do that. But the question, the bigger question is, is, how do we respond every day? At work? At play? When you're with your family? How important is it to you that you teach your family? That you be the right example for your family? That you do things around your family that are godly and will, will, will bring your family closer to God? Or do you take your family down a road that's going to that's gonna take you farther from, from God? And then finally, when you're by yourself. And you might think, well, why does that matter? Well, kind of like David. David was a man after God's own heart. And he meditated. And because he was, had this close relationship with God, he was able to write these very beautiful psalms. But I look at, and I th- I look at my own life, and I think of the times that I'm by myself, and is my heart turned that way? Or do I make myself busy with other things that are not important? Do I make myself busy with things that don't bring me closer to God? In fact, in some cases, may take me away. So the, the, the idea of, of how it affects your thought process and how it impacts the way that you think about the world and the way that you, the way that you interact with the world, I think that's really Uh, what i'd like to get across this morning so how does the cross impact all the aspects of your life you know there are people that will go out and they would see a a beautiful sunset and they would just comment that that's a beautiful sunset but there are other people that would look at that and they would see that as the handiwork of the creator and that jesus christ was part of of that creation let's be the kind of people that sees God in everything that we see and we interact with in the world let's let's be a kind of people that are motivated because of what happened on that day to live differently to work differently to play differently to represent the gospel in a way that uh, that he would be satisfied. Uh, this morning, if we can help you in any way, we are going to offer a song of invitation. Uh, if, if you have a need that you think the church can assist you with, if we can pray for you or do anything for you in that manner, we would ask you to come uh, sit on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.